Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we usually bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and dissect them both. But we, as we sometimes do, are breaking tradition here at Colton Classic Podcast. For today is part one of our Star Wars, the original trilogy discuss, and we'll follow it up with a finale next week. So make sure you bookmark your calendars, call out of work, leave your family, whatever you need to do to catch next episode as well, because I'm sure you're going to want to hear what we have to say. I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And with us, uh, we have a special guest, Star Wars fan and uh, low-budget pictures filmmaker Chris Siever. How are you doing, Chris? Moist! Moist! Um, I just, if, if you guys aren't watching uh, on YouTube, that I'll just tell you, he just has a just pile of Toblerones uh, in the background and pictures of Uncle Jesse. That's pretty much, you know. I wish. That, that's his. <laughs> and we also have longtime contributor Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? I don't want to talk about this. Oh, well, we're bringing you back in. Welcome. This is like uh, when they do one of those like 60 minutes, like how I got out of a cult when they go back and they're like, I'm sorry, I thought I was over this, but they're just like weeping. Uh, I keep Jeff, dragging me in. <laughs> Jeff Tucker's also with us. How are you doing, Jeff? What's up? Can't wait to hear about whatever this Star Wars thing is. Yeah, it's pretty obscure. I don't know that anybody's ever heard of it before, but we'll give you the down low. And also Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Star Wars. I thought I was here for Star Trek. What's going Aww. on? That was always like a big thing when I was a kid. They keep adult adults. This <laughs> 40-year-old man adults would uh, would get them confused. I'm like, it's not Star Wars, it's Star Trek or, or one or the other. Any who's it's yeah this is the original trilogy guys started in 1977 with the release of Star Wars uh, also known as Star Wars Episode 4 A New Hope which really skyrocketed George Lucas uh, into stardom as a household name um, lots to talk about with this rather than do the traditional format where we talk about uh, the first film and then the second film and the third film we're kind of gonna just go as the discussion takes us because we all have some familiarity with Star Wars. Uh, nationwide, worldwide, there is some familiarity with Star Wars. Uh, unless you're in Japan, in which case they didn't get Empire Strikes Back because that was too nationalistic. Uh, yeah, so that was a real weird one. Uh, yeah, let's go with our first experiences. Chris, let's start with you. When did you first get introduced to Star Wars? Uh, oh, man. So... 
All right. I always say that, like, the kids, like, I was born in 77, so I, I have this thing where I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I was doomed. You know, as soon as I came yeah. out, I was, like, sliding down the, <laughs> the fucking ramp of the Millennium Falcon, and it's just uh, and into a bunch of womp rats and, and, and all that good stuff. Because I just, I mean, from my earliest memory is all, that's all Star Wars. Like, that's all I can remember is Star Wars. Star Wars was everywhere, and certainly in our family, um, you know, I've talked about it before, my mom and my uncles, and uh, also my great aunt, uh, big sci-fi weirdos. Um, so, you know, they tell me that my first theatrical experience was Empire Strikes Back, but I don't fucking remember. I was three years old. Was three years you old. Know what I mean, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever. Do you but, feel like oh, that explains a lot? Um. <laughs> Uh, no, Star Wars is full of anal paprika references. It's incredibly. <laughs> no, I, I was um, boy, I don't know, I, and I think probably a lot of you know toddlers, children, kids my age at that point. Uh, I was a big Jim Henson guy. I loved everything Muppets and puppety oddballs and so fantastic. Know, yeah, so anything fantastical and weird like that, I was just like, oh, oh, oh give it to me. Um, so, I mean, my, you know, I remember seeing E.T. I remember seeing The Dark Crystal. I remember seeing those things being in the theater, but I don't remember Empire Strikes Back. And in fact, I didn't see Empire Strikes Back until probably a little bit before we all went to see Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi, I remember crystal clear in the theater because <laughs> I was losing my little six-year-old mind. I was bouncing up and down on the chair during the speeder bike scene and just flipping out. I was like, this is the greatest thing that I'll ever see in my life, you know? Um, but I definitely, yeah, I was a full-on science fiction weirdo kid, puppets and, and all that stuff. And, and Star Wars was just the thing. In fact, the only toys that I really remember, I can start remembering thing in around age four and, and, I just remember Star Wars toys. I remember all the, sh the my bedding. The that's what I was going to say. I, that's what I remember too, is like, no matter if you were old enough to see the movie, when you're the kid of a certain age, whatever the hype was at that time, that's your bedspread, that's your pillowcase, yeah, I mean, that's your toothbrush, you know, like everything. Star Wars was everywhere. Um, and I just loved it. Just loved it. And I didn't want it to end. And, and uh, you know, I was like anybody else i was getting the toys the kenner stuff like right up until they stopped doing it um and uh you know when they re-released them in 95 and you know yeah. <laughs> i did the power of the force the bulky ripped power of the force figures i was getting those <laughs> oh yeah the, you know, the he-man influence was strong at that time uh did the special editions much to my chagrin <laughs> yeah so uh, that's something you know, that <laughs> i was 20 when that when that special edition first came out and i just like everybody else i was like super excited i was stoked yeah. i was like it's back baby it's, star wars is back and it's gonna get, be better than ever and then we went and i was like hmm <laughs> i think i think i'll <laughs> stick to the vhs i think i'll stick to 
my old school, my Star Wars, you know, like, uh, I think I'll stick to that. My first uh, disappointment. Yeah. Was well, these special editions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, you know, and thankfully they didn't, um, they didn't fuck with Empire as much as they did uh, New Hope. There was a lot of color correction and things in Jedi. Empire, very minor changes. Um, but I actually well, left uh, Jedi. Well, because Jedi has huge changes. Um, and just, so listeners, I think people who like, oh, I like Star Wars, like are casual viewers, don't probably have any idea the struggle that like hardcore Star Wars nerds, like us have had getting an actual like theatrical version of Star Wars. In fact, there has never been an official theatrical version of Star Wars release. Every single release, uh, all the way back to the first releases are actually different. Um, that first release was it was pretty close um they did a few things you know they in 81's edition when they released they added like episode four a new hope after star wars because you know i understand that change because empire strikes back was episode five so you're like it makes sense that it's episode four i also understand not putting that in the initial films release of the 77 because i know that if i went to a theater especially as like an eight-year-old i'm like star wars episode four i'm like what did i miss what the fuck is happening i would constantly be questioning myself um you know yeah, am i, I supposed to I understand moisture farmers i didn't see the first one until after i had seen empire strikes back and i didn't see empire strikes back well again three years old don't remember a fucking thing but my aunt used to hoard a laser disc player in her room <laughs> and she had time bandits and empire strikes back <laughs> on, on laserdisc so i would go in there and watch empire strikes back and then we went to see return of the jedi um but i saw new hope i saw star wars like almost immediately after empire strikes back and to this day the first one is still kind of like meh to me even though i'm a i'm a giant star wars person it's it's funny it doesn't hit me like it does everybody else I think so well let's go back so so tad when were you first introduced to star wars like because you have talked on this podcast of how star wars fandom is essentially a cult and you have gotten out of it and <laughs> now um you're still called back as as my expert when i need to know what the fucking space cow is called or something in attack of the clones i so, never said i got out you, it's a work in progress you... <laughs> i'm trying to get out but yes you're trying to accurate. quit smoking and we're sending you packs of marlboro that's correct <laughs> this is um i think the earliest memory that i have of star wars is actually when my parents went to go visit a friend of theirs in new york and we they were staying at a hotel so and i, I don't even know how old i was my actual first exposure to star wars that i can remember is actually space balls so right. i went my parents took me to space balls when i was three <laughs> and uh sorry when, that's great when when Spaceball 1 actually went into uh, hyperactive, I threw up in the theater. Like, as, as a three-year-old, uh, that, that's, that can kind of mess you up. Um, but That's when it all started. Yes. Is, 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 is actually, seeing Mel Brooks, uh, weird Jewish jokes, and then throwing up in theaters in hyperspace. It started shit. the whole trend. This is, yeah, my, my first exposure to Star Wars is actually Spaceballs. But... Um, I do distinctly remember seeing little bits and pieces. I can still remember them. I can see the bits and pieces of Empire Strikes Back, particularly the scene where they're rescuing Luke from 
the bottom of Cloud City and Lando's going through the aperture in the Millennium Falcon. But of course, your three-year-old brain kind of sort of distorts that stuff because it also got mixed in with Return of the Jedi and uh, Vader's helmet coming off and me thinking that there's like six helmets that Luke had to take off to get Vader out of that suit. But um, uh, I didn't actually see the movies until I was like 10 years old. My dad, who used to love Star Wars, and I guess you could see where this trend is coming from. My dad definitely doesn't give a shit about Star Wars anymore um, for good reasons same kind of reasons that I don't but um he when he when he sat me down to watch the original movie he actually had a plan he actually sat me down to watch the first movie and then wouldn't let me binge the rest of them he actually made me watch them like he was like you can watch this one and then you have to like wait. three years later here's Empire Strikes Back <laughs> you have to, <laughs> you have to he, he basically made me wait a week to see the next one and then I got to see Return of the Jedi so I got to see them all but, you know, it, it was sort of a life-changing experience. But surprisingly enough, I was playing X-Wing before I was watching the movies. I was playing X-Wing third grade on my PC. Like, I was PC gaming Star Wars before I even had seen the movie. So I didn't have context. I was actually shooting down TIE fighters and doing missions. And I thought this was Star Wars until I actually saw the movies. And I was like, this is very different from the games. But... I still look back fondly at X-Wing because I think it's still the best Star Wars game of all time. And I'm sure not, um, there are plenty of people who would agree with me on that. But that's- Until that's they play favorite. Knights of the Old Republic. Stop, just shut up. Um, Jeff, if I'm they just can kidding. get it to fucking run. I'm just kidding. It played on Switch, guys. It's been re-released. Okay, I'm teasing you. Um, yeah, I think because all of us, you know, as Chris sort of said, we were on the cusp where Star Wars was like ever present in the background, but it was weird because we were just old enough to not watch it. Like it wasn't the same experience as say like, like my, my, uh, like my wife's sister's uh, sort of age group for Twilight, you know what I mean? Where they watched them all like, oh, here's the first one. I actually knew this going in. Like it was a, it was slightly before our time, but of our time. And it's, I, I, I'm not sure how to how to parallel that experience with other things because um, it wasn't a TV show that there'd be reruns. It was, you know, you saw it in theaters and then they did re-release it in theaters like, you know, around the time of the sequels because it was such a phenomenon and they knew that it would, people would see it. Um, but it's just an interesting dynamic, I think, uh, with our generation, which people seem to see our generation now as the Star Wars generation when really I think probably it's right before us that might've been to some extent, you know, there's certainly the toxic Star Wars fans or those primarily right before us. Um, and, but there, we've got plenty of toxics too. I mean, I just told uh, my good friend to shut up with good reason. Jeff, what was your experience uh, getting into Star Wars for the first time? You know, I don't remember it, but I mean, in fairness, I don't remember people we spent time with in high school. So my memory is not, uh, you know, tip top. Yeah, our family um, doesn't have the memory genes that the rest of you guys are talking about, like, <laughs> at all. Well, but I, I do know, like, our, our parents were not into movies. Like, you know, we would we would rent films or whatever from, like, the local, you know, film rental store. Um, but our, mine, right? our parents did not care about movies. There, there was no fandom. Neither of my parents gave any hoot about Star Wars. Um, and, you know, that kind of continues to today. 
Um, so like there, yeah, we, we were never sat down and, and like given a, uh, like, you know, a introduction to the film. So I don't remember when I saw it. You probably just saw it at some point. I was like, all right, I got to see this. Um, it was before the prequels um, came out. When, when it was like the... 2001? No, 99. Early teens or before when I saw Star Wars for the first time. Um, yeah, and so I don't, I don't really have any big uh, life-changing moments with it. Um, yeah. Glad you're on the show. Mandy, what was your first experience? You're welcome for that great bit. <laughs> what was your first experience? Solid gold. <laughs> you put that right in the beginning, you know, as the uh, the uh, ad piece. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you're you're um yeah, we we grew up like, like he just said. So for those new listeners, Jeff is my brother, uh, Jeff and Amanda, siblings or Mandy, siblings, uh for life. We did the paternity and, uh, test, listen back. Yes. In, in fact, it's true. Uh, both raised in a pretty much like not immediate, like mostly media free household. So, like, we had like PBS, uh, no cable. Uh, they let us wander into the video store like every other week and like pick three movies at random, like with no guidance. Just, oh, this one has a pretty cover and we'll take it home. And then they'd like. Leonard Glenda, perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but like I do have clear memories of pretending like role playing um Star Wars characters like in the summertime with friends um like around maybe 8 or 9 years old. So like we were exposed to it in some way. We knew who the characters were and it was a fun idea for us. Um and I remember like we have a batch of older cousins who are about like maybe five or six years older than me who were very much the age to have been exposed and got to see it in theaters and like been like fans and old enough to be excited about it and I like remember one of them had like all three of them like on VHS and I feel like it was on like one really long tape and he'd tape them like back to back um and cut out like the end titles so like they just like he just like binge it like all the way through and I just thought that was like the coolest like teenager thing ever that you could ever do in your whole life. I was just like mind blown, like, wow. Um, and like, that's kind of it. But like, I also remember that when the newer ones started coming out in theaters and like going to see them having like this visceral reaction to like the open, like title sequence and the um, soundtrack. So like, it's the there John very- Williams score, the dun, dun, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. yeah. So it's, it's there very deep, but like our family doesn't do memory very well. So I can't remember like any of the particulars, but I know that like it was kind of around because it was everywhere as you guys. Yeah. And it sort of goes into what what Chris was saying. It's I think if you didn't if your parents didn't introduce you, it was one of those things where I'm not going to say peer pressure. But if you didn't if you didn't get into it and learn more about it, you were on the outskirts because like you were pushed out because other kids knew and were interested um and and especially you know when the toy lines came especially when episode one again came out that was like that resurgence you know um and 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 then you know you got the kids who there was their first experience to it and they loved it and then you had the old guys who were really angry and sad and 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 throwing things and yeah um and mm -hmm. it was just an interesting a uh, meld uh my first experience is my parents uh i don't know if they i believe they they bought 
you know, I actually don't think they bought. They must. We must have seen it on TV, and eventually we did buy um, the VHS. I know we bought like the '95 re-releases or something, uh, and and of course I watched them until I, st- I probably still have, but worn, just worn out. And uh, it was my mom was really um, big into the mythologist Joseph Campbell. And so we would listen to, as I was growing up, would listen to tons of interviews with Joseph Campbell and Bill Moyer and uh, audiobooks where, where Bill Moyer would read, you know, um, I think it was 74, 75, it's like a hero with a thousand faces. Um, and that was actually like the blueprint uh, ideology behind Star Wars and other movies, this is the Matrix as well. But Joseph Campbell's bit was who became friends with Lucas was that, <clears throat> these archetypal hero figures that Jung had talked about uh, in his psychic, you know, psychology studies, you could actually place them in uh, essentially a narrative structure uh, uh, from stage one to step two to step three, so on, that built most of our well-known story structures, the, the most enduring stories, religion, religious stories, um, you know, uh, all of these things were based on this one structure and it's still used today in many many forms but it was that hero's journey was what lucas after having drafted i think he said two versions of the star wars script um he he then went to uh uh this this hero's journey mythos structure and said oh i'm going to do this and it's very you can it's very evident if you go online you can google joseph campbell's hero's journey you'll see the structure um if you've done if you're a creative writing major or something you've certainly or even taken a creative writing class many things will be familiar to you from it you know the hero is called to action they reject it then they uh, agree to it after some sort of event like uh i don't know your your adopted parents being burnt alive on their moisture farm something like that and then <clears throat> you go on this journey and you have an arc. And so that's actually was my first knowledge of it is that my mom is I, my first memory of it is watching go remember like this is and telling me as I was little. And I think I was probably I was probably like, I don't know, eight or something at the time, but it is deeply ingrained in my head. And that idea of like Luke going through this journey from, you know, uh, a new hope to the end of Return of the Jedi was one of what failed me when it came to like the prequel trilogy. And even going in, I remember being scared, not because I didn't think that I would be entertained or, or whatever. I mean, the casting was fascinating and the graphics, especially at the time, they still kind of hold up, but at the time they were mind blowing. But I, Chris is making a face. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, the problem is, is that that hero's arc is not present in the prequel trilogy because it's taking one narrow background facet of the hero's journey of the original trilogy and trying to balloon it up into a story. So it re- it's it's more akin to reading like a, a Roman history than it is reading a, a fiction series. And it's not satisfying in the way that the original trilogy is. Like, you can watch the original trilogy and I feel like come away thinking, wow, I am satisfied. This is complete. Like I want more, but at the same time, the great, you know, the great enemy has been defeated. All of these amazing characters, you know, are celebrating. We've seen all this amazing action. Um, and kind of to, to tail into the, the point or to dog end that is I think Star Wars original trilogy is not given enough credit. It's given a lot of credit but it's not given enough credit 
to the way that each film, except for Empire Strikes Back, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is incredibly self-contained on its own. It doesn't finish the story, but both A New Hope and Return of the Jedi feel like complete films on their own, which I think is why, say, in Japan, even though it wasn't as successful, it was very successful because it's, yes, it's science fiction and, and they tend to really uh, sort of eat up special effects work, uh, as I do, but the first film made sense on its own. Return of the Jedi, yeah, it starts in a weird place, but it has an arc where it ends up on its own. So they could take those without Empire Strikes Back. That said, Empire Strikes Back is roundly considered to be the best film of the prequel trilogy. Now, I want to address that. Tad, do you feel that Empire is the best film of the original trilogy? I don't really... I can never argue with it because, let's face it, every time you start a movie franchise, everybody says that the second movie isn't going to be the Empire Strikes Back of this. You know, like, you always have it in your head. It's technically the best movie. Story-wise, it's the best one. Character development-wise, it's the best one. World-building-wise, it's the best one. It introduced so much stuff that didn't even, it, you didn't even really need a whole lot of context for it. Do you need to know much about the giant space worm? No, but you're going to remember that goddamn giant space worm. I forgot the space worm until you just said that. I just, <laughs> right, you forgot the goddamn space worm. No, so I agree with certain aspects and, and we'll, I'll touch on base with everyone else and we'll go back. I, Mandy and Jeff, you guys can tag team this. What do you feel about the second movie? versus the first and third like do you feel like it's the strongest movie of them i think so because it doesn't have whiny luke skywalker and it doesn't have ewoks so it's definitely the best of the three <laughs> mandy you are on thin ice if so you do not apologize to wicket um yes jeff so actually it's funny that you mentioned that <laughs> chris so is wearing a, his ewoks cartoon sweater so there's that and actually I'm, I'm glad that that yeah chris even had this preamble because there's this joke in uh the the television show how i met your mother about uh you know whether or not you saw star wars be, before the age of 10 and after the age of 10 and if you saw it after the age of 10 you hated the ewoks if you saw it before the age of 10, they were like the best thing that ever happened to the universe. Uh, and I we just proved it right here. We, we just- <laughs> I'm going to disagree was with you, proved. Jeff. Not, not anything about the Ewoks. I think you're totally right. I'm going to disagree with you that How I Met Your Mother had jokes. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm going to disagree with. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I remember- I remember that he was, he was the one presenting this. Uh, anyways, uh, I just remember that one thing. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the reason the second movie is generally like, can, can they make it like really good is you don't have to do as much exposition and, um, you know, character introductions. Uh, you have a little bit more space to have fun and, and um, create like more like iconic moments, like, you know, cutting out, cutting the Tauntaun open and, uh, you know, shoving Luke in. Um, you, you have, um, uh, you know, the... Darth Vader, uh, Luke fight. You know, just tons of you have uh, the like, yeah, like the, the realistic of... snowman from Red Nose, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Sure, yeah. Okay. But I mean, it's just it, you, Sky you, City is very cool. Yeah, I think that's cool. that's why, and and it just happened to be in this one, um, like a lot of the stuff that people remember and like 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 those big moments um, come from Empire. 
Well, um, which is and why I mean, let's people... be real, right? Like yeah. Luke, the revealed spoiler alert, guys, the reveal of Darth Vader being Luke's father and Luke losing his hand is, of course, the, the pinnacle climactic moment of Empire Strikes Back. Chris, do you consider now that you, you know, having seen them all, do you consider Empire to be the best film? And I, I judge, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Um, so I say that, and this is kind of how, how I've always been. Um, I think that it's the, I think it's the best made of the original films um i think that it's it takes a tremendous leap from new hope um in all aspects um but it is not my favorite my favorite is return of the jedi i i agree and there's there's several reasons there's several reasons for that one of course i was six years old in a movie theater (laughs) my fucking six-year-old mind yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, but also, but again, I'm going to say this. Return of the Jedi is my favorite, but we wouldn't have why I love Return of the Jedi if it weren't for Empire, Empire. Strikes Back. I, my, my guy is Luke Skywalker. I love Luke. He is my Star Wars character. Um, and I felt... What they did with him in Jedi still to this day gives me goosebumps and I get chills and I still get a little teary, especially when he is finally fighting his father at the end and the music is going and all that shit. And it's just very powerful for me. But like that arc of Luke, um, I just love how it plays out in Return of the Jedi. I love it's so satisfying. I love everything about. Yes, it is very satisfying. Um, also, I feel again, <laughs> the, as the kid in me, it's just viscerally more exciting. Um, there's the adventure is like pumped up. Um, whereas like Empire Strikes Back is very somber. And for me, the best, the best stuff in, in Empire Strikes Back is Hoth and, um, the Luke and Vader stuff at the end. Uh, Everything else. And that's mostly very, what we remember. Most very somber. Um, you know, uh, I still feel Luke is whiny in Empire Strikes Back. Um, he's just bit. complaining about everything <laughs> that Yoda is throwing at him, and he's just like, oh, "Come on." <laughs> I mean, in in the very beginning, he is a little insufferable when he's like, uh, but he's like playing a you know kid in the middle of nowhere that's turned on by his sister. You know, <laughs> um, relatable content, I guess. I and uh, I, I'm an only I, child, guys. Just saying. <laughs> as a kid, I loved that he was like, "Fuck you, Yoda! I'm gonna go help my friends." Um, but as I was, you know, continued to be a fan and, and into my teens and everything, I was like, "Oh, you know," uh, but uh, he has to continue doing his his shit with Yoda. He, he can't just split like this. He can't, this is, no, no, this ain't right. He's no Jedi. <laughs> you know, I, I felt very <laughs> much like that. And, I, and, and, you know, you don't see him fully becoming Jedi Luke 
when you get to Return of the Jedi, you have that time jump, um, which, again, teens and 20s, it's kind of a bummer because I do want to see that. But um, uh, I love him so much more in Jedi than I do in Empire. But again, he's powered up. Yeah, man, he's, you know, this is, this at that point, 1983, this is fucking Luke Skywalker, and we're seeing him, like, do some shit, and and it's awesome and thrilling, but again, um, as a film fan, I can 100% recognize that Empire Strikes Back is the better made film, it is, it is a, almost a, you know, flawless fucking piece of work um and it's incredible that it's within this (laughs) three act (laughs) you know right it's uh it's almost so this gets to tad's point where um you said you said it was it's it's the best at this the best at this and you were right on to me on some of them obviously it's just my uh incredibly educated opinion and i i think that um i think that it does have the best character development um, because the characters are put through it, right? They really, we see what their turning points because this is, the hero is up a tree and they are throwing shit at him. Like they're not just, you know, and the tree is on fire. Like everything is, is at its most stressful in this film. And it doesn't get better for them during this film. <laughs> in fact, it ends yeah. with the biggest downer ever, right? Um, my it's issue fantastic. and, I, yeah, I agree with Chris that it's also the best made. Now, this one, people often think that, because uh, Lucas was the mastermind of the Star Wars empire, um, pun, he's also, um, he was not actually the director of Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi. In fact, he, he also was just co-writer on the scripts for those. The director of Empire Strikes Back was Ir- uh, Irvin Kirshner, who died in 2010, and a really gifted director. He, dir- he directed many big films, including Never Say Never Again, uh, with Sean Connery, even the Bond film. And of course, one of my favorite films of all time, Robocop 2, uh, I See You, Manesson, Pennsylvania, Ironworks, uh, I See You. But yeah, so he's very, he's very good. And we recently in a pod talked about um, uh, 2003's Stephen King adaptation, Dreamcatcher, which was helmed uh, by, uh, with Ass Weasels, uh, which yeah. was helmed directed and written by Lawrence Kasdan. Now, Lawrence Kasdan co-wrote with George Lucas and another amazing screenwriter, Leigh Brackett, uh, one of the really iconic forerunners for female screenwriters in big Hollywood. Uh, he co-wrote Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Now, it was just him and Lucas on Return of the Jedi, as far as the credits go, anyway. And so there were other hands in the pot for these two films. And I do think that's a big part of why Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi were able to, as Tad said, sort of expand, and you mentioned this too, Chris, sort of blow away the confines that we saw in A New Hope. Like, A New Hope was a very narrow view. We were on Tatooine, we went here, like, back. It was very, it was sort of an an excellent exercise in understanding how far you can go out without exceeding things like I mean, they did exceed budget, but without exceeding budget, exceeding available resources, um, not just of money, but of also of um, story content. Star Wars A New Hope needed to be about Luke, right? So Empire Strikes Back, of course, all of them are about Luke, but Empire Strikes Back is when we start to see all of the B players as well get in the shit, okay? 
and that's it's it's one why it's exciting all the way through it really is a pretty exciting film it's a bummer film but it's an exciting film we also get to see the real rise of the empire's spooky characters right like the, the villains really get their due in empire strikes back but here's where i kind of have a problem with blanket saying that empire strikes back is the best star wars film which is often said much as chris you mentioned return wouldn't be as good as it is without empire empire cannot exist without its two other films because narratively i don't think it is a complete story in and of itself um oh, it starts it's with not, action yeah. yeah it starts with action and it ends on a cliffhanger it's a great um season finale it's a right? bridge movie it, well, exactly. And um, there's other great bridge movies too. Oftentimes they don't tie, you know, the, the, oftentimes the third part does not live up to it. Like for example, um, the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie is a pretty strong movie uh, on its own. And it's very much an empire movie. It builds up and it gives you that hard stop where you're like, but I'm not done. And they're like, well, the next one's coming. And then the next one, unless you're Tad, didn't live up to your standards. Um, Wait a minute. I'm pretty you sure you said you loved that movie in theater and it was better than the first. And I was there. It is not. Do not I, tell me otherwise. And I stand by that statement. I was gonna say, I'm like, don't misrepresent me. I explicitly said I loved three. Yeah, well, at World's End can be your favorite. I mean, there's stuff in it that's okay, <laughs> but um, you explain to me on the off when we're off, Mike, you tell me uh how how the sea crab stone sea at the end of the world uh fits into this mythos. Anyway, uh <laughs> I like three as well. Star Wars, guys. Star Wars. Um, uh, Chris, it's been nice having you. Um, yeah. No, I and I and I do love the Pirates trilogy in general, but that's that's sort of the thing. And the the flip side of having a bridge movie, as, as Tad said, in the middle that has a more resolute ending is that you can sort of make the third of a trilogy more difficult on yourself. My example of this is the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Spider-Man 2 is, I personally think, an incredible film. Um, the arc and the, the, the adult themes they worked into the arc, but still within the structure where it can be a family film where you know, you're, basically, you're basically paralleling um, erectile dysfunction with the inability to perform as a superhero. I mean, it's just really brilliant. Um, and that film is very self-contained. We open, we all know who Spider-Man is, they give a little recap, and then we end with the fall of the villain. Um, but that closure, you could argue, made uh, Spider-Man 3, and there's production and studios got involved, which caused some issues, of course, that happens. Um, but you could, I think you could make a strong argument that it was harder for that to feel complete and part of a trilogy because you ended so well and so cleanly at star at spider-man 2 so when you go into spider-man 3 you kind of have to pick up the pieces and say back at it again before getting your big arc and it just feels like you have spider-man 1 and 2 and spider-man 3 now uh as as chris and tad are apologists for uh pirates of the caribbean 3 i'm an apologist for spider-man 3 so i, I will let it go but There's nothing wrong uh, with that no, I, I agree. You and I both agreed on this point. Um, <laughs> I, I know. Hell's frozen over. I'm just kidding. So I, I do think that Empire Strikes Back is a phenomenal film. It builds on the Star Wars universe. It gives us so many of these little things that now we think of as Star Wars that did not exist in the first film. Um, and it builds and it allows us to have this 
truly explosive finale because as Chris, I agree with Chris, actually Return of the Jedi is my favorite as well. And I also love the Ewoks and I'm going to, I'm going to throw this. It's not just because they're cute and fuzzy. I actually think I loved them as a kid because I love puppets. I love costumes. They were funky, cool, cute. But as an adult, they are horrifyingly bizarre. And I love it. They have grown man dentures and unblinking eyes in a furry package. It is it is truly magic. Like it's not with a special edition. They're not. They well, I don't want to hear, we're, we'll talk about some of the changes. <laughs> but here's my thing with the Ewoks, is that because they are cute, but then when you look really close, they're kind of unsettling, like their lipless jowls and things. They're, they're kind of unsettling. Dead eyes. Yeah, they're dead eyes that just stare. Um, because of that, they're almost, to me, more realistic because no animal, no matter how cute they are, there's elements of them that are actually unsettling, like shave a cat. Okay, like I love cats, but when you shave them, they are strange looking. Like it's just a just face. It's so upset right now. Um, and the unsettling thing, if somebody goes and shaves a cat, is the person that just shaved a cat to see something unsettling. That <laughs> that's the unsettling. The person is the unsettling bit there. Do not shave your cats because of what I said. There are legitimate reasons to shave a cat. Like if he needs to have his tattoo touched up skin condition whatever um but no the issue is uh and colton classic fully supports unshaved or shaved cats take that any way you will i i think i you know what i forgot i'm just thinking about ewoks now i have the ewok village uh right to my right here you can't yep it's it's beautiful and brilliant i love it absolutely love it uh so let's just let's just wrap it up on that You've reached the end of part one of our discussion with filmmaker Chris Seaver and our panelists on Star Wars, the original trilogy. Catch next week's episode for part two, which will wrap up our conversation and unveil our deep-seated Star Wars personal trauma. Hope you enjoy and to play us out as always is the Chud with All About Evil. Follow us on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast and send us emails at coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.